From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, April 2nd. It's a busy time for the team at Sand Flats Recreation Area. This weekend, well, it's big. Easter Jeep Safari. But pretty much all spring, the employees at Sand Flats interact with a lot of diverse visitors. Some come with Jeeps, others UTVs, motorcycles, bicycles, and on foot. At the beginning of the busy season in late February, I had the opportunity to see what it's like to work there. I shadowed employee Sonia Nicolaisen for our new segment, Audio Portraits of People in the Moab Valley. Now, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, and sometimes when it's windy, it gets a little muffled. Hello, I'm Sonia Nicolaisen, and I work here at Sand Flats Recreation Area. I'm having a booth shift right now, (laughs) waiting for the line. Can you not accept cash? Yeah, we we can. I I can't give you change though, sir. That's fine. I'll just give it to y'all. We came early and the guy was really nice to us, so. Oh, nice. All right, here you go. Hey, thank you, ma'am. Okay, so what I find very difficult is when it's busy, especially, and you've got the loudness, (laughs) the line, you know, there's motors, some motors are louder than others, as we know. So the engine is running, it might be a diesel engine or the UTVs, and then they'll be asking me questions, and I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> so I try really hard to, to tune in. Put it there. Yes, please. And then here's a map. Thank you. And then please stay on the trails. Thanks. Okay. So I'm starting on my front country patrol here. I'm at the Hell's Revenge parking lot. And looks like it's going to be a busy day already. The parking lot's a little bit full. So our duties consist of so much. There's a lot of variety up here. We're like general rangers, so we're not strictly in the booth. We're doing campground maintenance, trail patrols, and just checking on the resources, making sure that people aren't getting going off the trails. So during our front country patrols, we've got our patrol vehicles, everything's stocked in there. Of course, we need rakes a lot. <laughs> rakes are famous around here. So here's my friendly rake. <laughs> and there were some campers here last week. There was a group from the Midwest, far away, they had never been here. I had talked to them about the fragile crusts we have and the vegetation, the sensitivity of how old the vegetation is and how it takes a long time to recover. So nonetheless, the motorcycle tracks, later I came back and they were all over the place, (laughs) all uh, throughout the vegetated area, so Uh, We had to come back later and rake, but I still see uh, some tracks 
just raking them out so just so they don't get the idea because <laughs> they see this track leading right up to the slick rock and they think oh well, let's go for a free-for-all but that is not favorable so I started employing what's called vertical mulching and what it is is you get some twigs of native vegetation that has seed heads on it and you just stick it in the ground and I did that quite a bit here with this one's called winter fat I had a few winter fat plants I had a few rabbit brush in here and then there's another one here which is actually an endemic plant it's called resin bush so endemic it means it grows nowhere else in the world but just in our Colorado Plateau area. I had put some of those twigs in and then I waited. <laughs> I put some glow mallow in as well but I haven't seen those pop up. But those twigs drop their seeds and we have some native shrubs now in the restoration area. I, I do definitely have, have an interest in plants and their uses and and then in the different environments, really amazing. Things change as you go up higher in elevation. You get the mountain plants, the alpine zone. Just here, within a few miles, you know, up in the La Salles, it's really amazing. And even here in Sand Flats, you can just drive up the road and see big changes. We even have, technically, we have a couple ponderosas in Sand Flats. <laughs> Ponderosa pines, so. Hi. Good, how about you? We turned too fast for fins and things. Oh yeah, you entered the campground. We saw that. Let's go up a little further. Yeah, so uh, you can exit right here. And then, um, Something that's really special about this position too is the visitor interactions. Um, mostly they're very positive. Mostly. <laughs> I'll just park right here. And I'm going to go into my little cubby here. I'm gonna grab this magic orange sheet. This is called a courtesy tag. And then I'll just get out for a moment and a few things here, right back. So we, we have these kiosks at every, in every campsite. And we just make sure that these are all in good shape. Sometimes they're weathered, and so we, we replace mm -hmm. them as well. And so there's an interpretive display about the bobcats, and that, that was a, a fun project. And I used an image from a wildlife webcam that was taken up by the Porcupine Rim Jeep Trail. But as you can see, somebody has vandalized it a little bit. I see that. I hadn't noticed that before. I'll have to see if I can take that off. I don't know if this will work, but sometimes alcohol is good. A little bobcat. <laughs> oh, there, the eyes look normal again. Yay! I had a mountain bike years and years ago, and I was never really at of avid mountain biker uh -huh. so I just used it for going on a ride now and then uh -huh. but I don't count me in as one of the um, you know technical 
rad mountain bikers. <laughs> I'm the type that will get off and walk when I need to. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and conduct a backcountry patrol now. And I will be heading out on the Slick Rock Trail. I'll go out there and I'll pick up trash, orient visitors. Once in a while I'll come across disoriented folks out there. They get mixed up way out there in the big Slick Rock country. <laughs> but most of the time everything's pretty smooth out there. I think being a part of helping protect our our wonderful resource it means so much to me. By doing that, I'm also benefiting the visitors that come here because we're trying to maintain the beauty and the integrity of the landscape. So I guess that would be my favorite part. My name is Sonia Nicolaisen, and I'm a recreation technician here at the Sand Flats Recreation Area. And this is my seventh year, I believe. It's been really great working in the outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll see you in a bit then. Okay, see you in a bit, Sonia. Okay. Big thanks to Sonia Nicolaisen and the team at Sand Flats Recreation Area who let me shadow their work earlier this spring. Sonia did a front country patrol, back country patrol, and booth shift all in the span of a few hours. Quite a sight to see. This was an audio portrait, a new segment of ours that will appear on the newscast every so often. If you think there's someone we should profile, please reach out to molly at kzmu.org. And now we head to our weekly newsreel, where we speak with newspaper reporters about the stories they most recently covered in our area. It's Jeep Week. Although Easter Jeep Safari has been modified this year due to the pandemic, there are still lots of motorized enthusiasts in town. Jeep, the company, is here and showing off a few new concept models of their vehicles. Times Independent reporter Carter Poppy has more. Yeah, Jeep announced before Safari started that they would be bringing out an all-electric Jeep. They have plug-in hybrid models that are like production models. They've been doing that for a few years now, I think. But this would be the first like all-electric Jeep. This is super interesting for so many reasons. For me, you put a battery in a, in a vehicle instead of a combustion engine and the mechanics totally change. I mean, you've heard stories about like Tesla, you get in the car and you put the, the pedal down and it's just like a, a constant takeoff effect. like constant acceleration until you get to top speed. And then with the Jeep, it's it's different. This all electric Jeep that they brought out and that I got to like take photos of because I just happened to pass by gear traders as it was sitting in the parking lot. You look inside and it's very prominent, the manual gear shift. This is an electric vehicle with a manual gear shift, whereas a Tesla can get away with not having a manual transmission because the battery is made different. This one that is in the concept Jeep model, not a production vehicle yet, it's slightly different. So they've outfitted it with this manual transmission, which like for Jeep junkies is also kind of like a fun thing as well. Jeep put out this press release uh, late last year that was sort of outlining their plans to go toward electric and, you know, start doing less with combustion engines, more with batteries. You know, they brought this battery electric Jeep out to kind of test it out in Moab. Like, what can this thing do? What should we be thinking about as we continue 
mm-hmm. iterating on this design. Anyway, it's sitting out in the Walker's parking lot if you wanted to go see it and you should go see it. This is like a concept model and yeah. they and Jeep sounds like they're excited about it. And this being Jeep Week in Moab, which is internationally known, other people who are coming to Safari and locals are also kind of weighing in and thinking about how this can work on on trails. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a Jeep Safari is a huge platform for Moab, but also for Jeep. They they brought out five different models of like their own custom builds uh, that they're showing off, and the Magneto that's the name of the all electric one. <laughs> that's kind of like their their big thing that they were showing off. It's a pretty big deal, and it's an uh, opportunity for people to kind of see what might be the next step for the company. That's really neat that you got to go see it and check it out. Um, where else do you want to take us, Carter, in the Times Independent? Yeah, we also had a story this week. This is based on kind of older events, but there is this conflict happening on Creekside Lane, on the Spanish Valley. It's a private drive, rural residential area. Larry White, he is trying to build five or six housing units on six and a half acres. And um, he's got this thing called a planned unit development. It's approved by the county commission. And he actually got it approved in the 1990s. So he's had this planned unit development for a while, but he wanted to make an amendment to it to basically allow him to concentrate three of the houses on a corner so that he can leave the open space in the back for this small farm that he has. He came before the commission earlier this year to ask for this change. I mean, this is sort of a classic story of private property rights versus community interests. Mm. So that's, that's sort of why I wanted to focus on it. The neighbors are suing the county for their decision to let Mr. White move forward with his plans, which has meant that he is not moving forward with his plans because he can't because it's tied up in the lawsuit. It's been delayed for two months now because of the lawsuit, which is still ongoing. And the story basically just digs into what each of these parties are sort of arguing about here and what's, what's the process moving forward. So this is this is headed to a land use appeal or where are we now? Like, are we in the court system? Or are we in a planning board? Who's so right now, what we've already had is a request for interpretation is what it's called. And that's an appeal that goes to the county commission, which mm-hmm. is the appeal body. Now that the county is sort of, they, so they've taken two votes now. One was 6-1, one, one was 6-0, and it was at this request for interpretation hearing, basically just reaffirming what they did. I see. Now it's before a judge, Judge okay. Don Torgerson. There has not yet been a hearing on it with the judge, uh, besides for scheduling. There's another scheduling conference early next week. The county has tried to get the case dismissed. The judge said no. So there will be a case. Whether it's appealed, how it's decided, all of that is still up in the air. And it's just, you know, part of this story of delaying development. Now, can I ask, it sounds like the neighbors are are very organized enough to, you know, bring this before, bring their complaint before a judge. What is their main issue with this housing being built in Spanish Valley? It sounds like Spanish Valley is a place that could be developed 
for, you know, future housing. Yeah. So maybe a little bit of context to sort of help understand it. I mentioned it earlier, Creekside Lane is a private drive. So Mm. all the people, all the neighbors are people who live on this private drive next to Mr. White. Rural residential, which is the underlying zone for this area, only Mm. allows for one housing unit per acre. He is concentrating three housing units in like one and a half acres, something in that order. But the planned unit development that I mentioned basically is what is allowing him to do that. Mm -hmm. It's a level of oversight that it gives the county discretion to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. That's the one hand. It's like there's extra oversight. But the other is he gets a benefit because he can concentrate housing in one part of his property while the rest is left open. And his argument and the argument of the county commissioners who approved this is that it's also a benefit for the community because if they don't allow him to do this, you know, he can't build three houses the way he wants to. And it would possibly compromise this little farm that he has that, you know, friends of, of white have written to the commission to say, like we we've benefited from using this farm. He sells, Mm-hmm. produce in, in local farmers markets. Like this is a good thing for us to have in Moab. Three houses on a corner in rural residential Spanish Valley is not much to ask in exchange. But the neighbors, of course, are worried about the character of the neighborhood and mm-hmm. what the three houses being on a corner like that would would mean for them. Right. And their private drive. And it's it's interesting the way you laid it out. Um, these housing issues are, it's difficult. <laughs> It it seems like there's always this tension like you outlined between uh, private property rights and what the community at large wants. Yeah. And and like this story is a repetition of so many stories that I could have and just haven't written because it's all close to the same story. I mean, there, there are particular circumstances in every case, of course, and like the facts are different, the legality of it, it's always different, but I mean, ultimately, what you can boil it down to is a private property owner wants to do X with his property and his neighbors, his or her neighbors don't like it. And they use the judicial system to delay uh, or possibly fully stop this kind of development. Now, finally, Carter, it sounds like the Times Independent is recruiting for something. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So we're trying to form an editorial board. You know, we've published a few editorials in recent weeks that we thought were good. The the paper got behind them. But what we were sort of realizing in doing this is we want more community input when we're writing these editorials. We want to make sure that we're sort of gathering disparate opinions on the matters to make sure that we've really got a multiply informed editorial whenever we put one out. So we're recruiting anyone in the community who lives in Moab who would be interested to sit down with us once a month. We'll, we'll provide food and snacks and all that. And we'll discuss a important topic. There's so many in Moab, of course, tourism, affordable housing. We were just talking about development. Uh, there's so many different issues to discuss and that we want to try to provide a perspective on as an institution that's trying to consider all sides and be very judicious in our, our opining on things. So if you are interested in providing input on TI editorials, email editor at Moab Times or give us a call 435-259-7525. Uh, we'll put you on the list. I think we're, we've got three open spots. 
It's going to be two from the paper and three from the community. Yeah, where you can provide details sort of in the process of adding people. We've got sort of outlined what what we expect and we can uh, share details if you're interested. You can read Doug's column this week. It's got more on that. But if you want to have a say in the paper's official positions on things, drop us a line and we'll We'll see about adding you to the board. This is really exciting. And it's an exciting opportunity um, for our community members who are already pretty engaged. I want to highlight there was an editorial that the TI wrote recently about UTV noise and the hypocrisy of the state legislature that was really hard hitting. Yes. It was refreshing to see the Times Independent sort of come out with a stance on that issue. Yeah, that editorial was about was about a, you know, kind of a statewide issue of UTVs and how it affects Moab in particular. The next one we wrote next week was about trying to freeze Moab in place with with halting all development um, or most. And we we have a response to that in this week's edition as well. So we just want to get people talking, but we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that's informative and informed. So if you want to be a part of informing that process, give us a, give us a call. Carter Poppy, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Well, it wouldn't be April Fool's Day in Moab without a funny cover from the Moab Sun News. In this week's edition, the Sun has jokes about the city council, van life, and UTV noise. Here's editor Maggie McGuire. <laughs> yes, April Fool's. The Moab Sun News, we've had a, a long-standing tradition of, of running a, an April Fool's cover every year. And how can you resist? It's a thing we do that it's like the most positive feedback from the community. It's sort of like a, a beloved institution. So I hope people enjoyed it this year. Yeah, people would look forward to like whatever joke you're going to tell on the community. <laughs> and like I said before we started recording, it, it gets me every year. And this year was no exception. So I'm always amused at myself when I'm like, what? What's going on? And I'm like, oh, yeah, April Fool. <laughs> Yeah, it, it cracks me up, too. Okay. Well, when you flip the um, April Fool's Day page, you'll find the real front page of the Mobson News this week. Um, on it, there's a story um, that, Maggie, you wrote about the Matheson's Wetland Preserve and how it, it is closing its gates because of overcrowding. It's so interesting because this is something that we're familiar with at Arches National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell, tell us about um, why Madison is closing. Yeah, it's an interesting story, and I think um, it illuminates some of the differences between the Matheson Preserve and Arches, and, and perhaps gives us a little insight into to what folks are going to have to do sort of as overcrowding becomes more and more of a problem. I think that we're, we're all anticipating some, some changes. The, the Matheson Preserve is actually a private land. It's owned by the Nature Conservancy um, and managed in partnership with the Division of Wildlife Resources here in Utah. They don't have a terribly giant staff, and that area is set aside primarily for conservation. You know, it has hiking trails, um, and it's it's quite beautiful and enjoyed by, by a ton of people here. But, you know, the the folks that I talked with really wanted to make it clear that that area is for, for um, conservation. And as they see 
more and more visitors um, making a negative impact on that goal, then of course they're going to close their gate. Yeah. Um, you know, you outline in the article that there was some, you know, illegal activity like a fire ring that um, the director noticed, and that that's dangerous in that area. Yeah, Linda Wisdom, who's the, the program manager there, you know, she mentioned that she had been there a few years ago when, when quite a, a large portion um, of, of this area had burned, you know, due to, in that case, fireworks. And, you know, she had said, like, you know, that was really scary. And this area is, you know, fairly close to, to residential neighborhoods. So there's actually a lot of risk involved that perhaps people who are just visiting this area don't really see. You know, and she, she says that she would like the Matheson Wetlands Preserve to be open, but she needs the community's help. Um, mm-hmm. can, is, is there any timeline as far as when it could reopen, or is it just, like, based on the discretion of the staff? It definitely is based on the discretion of the staff. I think that the major holdup is, you know, with, with so many visitors to this area, particularly during sort of this, this holiday season. The concern is that local law enforcement is going to be so overburdened that sort of helping the Nature Conservancy sort of check on the the status of like these, these parking lots and things like that. I mean, obviously, maybe isn't going to be at the top of um, local law enforcement's priorities list. Mm-hmm. But definitely, um, you know, in the, the words of um, Linda Witham, you know, she wanted just to have a game plan to know what she should be telling, um, you know, visitors who maybe are coming to this area to do bird watching um, and might arrive and find a um, a parking lot completely full of trailers or broken glass. While some of these issues have been problems in the past, of course, it seems as if it's a little bit more extreme this year so far to an extent that sort of people are realizing, oh, we need like a strategy now that we haven't needed in the past for how to deal with this. Anything else to mention about this piece in the Sun News? Oh, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's sort of a favor to some of our, our overburdened um, folks. Uh, you know, the, the Matheson Preserve is awesome, but just even for um, residents of Moab, let's let's not get, <laughs> let's not put all the blame on visitors. If you didn't know, the Matheson Preserve is like a bike-free, dog-free area as well. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. as, as beautiful as it is. Um, and as much as, you know, we want to say, like, you know, uh, that, that folks from out of town are, are causing all the ruckus, although it is a tempting area to walk your dog, it's for, you know, nesting birds and such. So right. there's, we are in, in, in an area where um, we are not wanting for, for, um, for public land. So, you know, just be respectful of, of a place that has been um, set aside at, you know, no, no small expense and with um, no little amount of effort to not only benefit sort of the residents of this area, the visitors, but also really, you know, the animals um, and vegetation as well. So also in the Moves and News, there's a little profile or a big profile about um, the Margaret L. Hopkin Middle School. It is mm-hmm. going to open in April. This is something that I think a lot of community members are wondering about because they yeah. probably passed the construction, um, you know, in the middle of town. Do you mind chatting a little bit about this piece and, and what people can find uh, in the sun? Sure. I think it's a it's an interesting, like you say, a, a check-in on, on stuff that people might be wondering. You know, I think it was um, maybe a year and a half ago that we ran an article when they were just beginning construction, and I think it was titled something like, are you wondering what all that dirt is? So, you know, when we have editorial meetings, we do try to to start thinking about stories 
um, from our readers' perspective um, and try to answer those questions that people are wondering. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the Hopkins Middle School, I was surprised that it was actually um, that classes are going to be in session in the new building um, so soon. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. The old building had actually dated back to the 1950s. You know, it had that kind of groovy, it had that groovy 50s architecture. <laughs> Um, and it had, you know, um, been long outgrown, not mm-hmm. only, you know, in terms of, like, safety guidelines, but also just by, you know, sort of the, the growing population of kids. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that all of the district officials that our, our wonderful writer, Anastasia Huffa, was able to talk to, were just um, clearly so excited to be able to um, to bring students into you know, sort of new and up-to-date facilities. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, um, you know, there's details in the MOBS and news about, you know, instruction beginning April 27th and then, you know, planning a ribbon-cutting ceremony sometime in August when um, mm-hmm. you, we can maybe have public tours. It's exciting for the community because it also sounds like um, there are some areas that the community can take advantage of as well. Even having a new gym, I know the current middle school gym has been used by the community in the past, so this will be an upgrade. It's sort of funny when you look into the history of the buildings around here. There, it's a um, sort of a, a shell game of like, mm-hmm. what's a school? What's a facility? What's a gym? Mm-hmm. It's moved around a few times, and one of the things that uh, I laughed at was just. Um, in order to build this new building while still continuing to have classes, they built it on the, the soccer field. Um, mm-hmm. And so when they um, demolish the, the old building, the old existing building, they're just going to turn that into, you know, the new soccer field. <laughs> With the challenges from, um, you know, delays from the coronavirus epidemic, um, and I think anyone, you know, um, involved in construction or, you know, who, who is building a house right now knows, the COVID-19 epidemic actually has caused, you know, the sort of construction supplies and costs to to go mm. way, way up. Um, it's kind of amazing because one of the things that we know community members always want to check on, particularly um, in the case of sort of a, a municipal building like this, um, is the cost. And actually, mm. this project reportedly, um, from everyone that we talked about, um, is coming in under budget, which is amazing. Maggie McGuire, editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we speak with newspaper reporters and editors about the most recent stories they covered in our area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.